Welcome to the Be Brilliant People podcast with your host, me, Mike Bedford. Be Brilliant People podcast, uh, and I'm delighted to be joined by Shaquille Book today. Uh, hi, Shaquille. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm great, thank you. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the uh, Be Brilliant People podcast today. Thank you so much. It's very kind of you to invite me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, we're 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 absolutely uh, delighted to uh, to have you on the podcast today, Shaquille. And uh, uh, I know we were having a conversation beforehand about um, how you were thinking uh, about possibly not coming on the show today, um, because uh, absolutely right, you've got so much things going on and things like that at the moment. But all I can say is we're, we're delighted you didn't you didn't cancel on us, and we finally because we've been trying to get this conversation into place now we, for, for some time. So really, really glad that we, we didn't have, we can have this conversation. I'm very glad to be here. I mean, the, the challenge has been around time. And again, when you're a freelancer, um, for those who are in that space, you'll know how difficult it is to, you know, keep juggling your different priorities and they, and they change all the time. So the, there's a lot of freedom that you get with being a freelancer, but that freedom comes with a price where you have, you know, different demands coming at different times. and and I've been putting you off for quite a while now. Um, if it makes it any easier, I haven't done any podcasts for anybody else, um, and I've refused a number of other podcasts. So um, I'm here now, though. And we're, we're delighted, and it's, it's worth been worth the wait, um, Shaquille. And uh, for, for the benefit of our listeners, we, we were having a, we spent about a good 10, 15 minutes before we even came on air, didn't we? Kind of getting to to know each other and kind of talking a little bit more about ourselves. And you were sharing with me. Um, Lots of great things um, about, about yourself and, and some of those challenges that you, you, you alluded to there as well, um, which, which hopefully we can kind of pick up in this uh, in this podcast today. But I might start just by asking you, uh, how's things with you at the moment, Shaquille? I think I'm in a good place, Mike. Um, I'm, I'm, work is regular. Um, it's, it's, I'm, I've got last year was for me uh, a very interesting year, as it was for many people. I signed up as an associate with a number of organisations. And that seems to be, as, a, as a strategy definitely worked because it meant I had a number of different possible revenue streams coming in uh, at different times. So if one associate didn't have work for me, another one did. Um, the year before that was very different. I had about six months where I had no work at all. And, and, it, and when, you're, when you have those peaks and troughs, it does make you wonder, is this the right place to be? But, you know, having got through to this point at this stage in 2022, Absolutely, you know, still loving what I do. Um, I wouldn't go back to uh, full-time employment. I love being a freelancer. I love having the, the freedom to choose um, who I want to work with. I, I'm sharing with you my definition of flexible working, yeah. which is I get to work with who I want, when I want, how I want, for as long as I want, for how much I want, uh, where I want. And and if, if it's not what I want, then I just I will actually, you know, turn down work um or turn down clients because it, it has to be something that i'm also passionate about doing when i was in that hrd role uh, uh, it was very there's a lot of kudos and, and you know self-esteem and you're patting on your back that comes with having that title and it feels great you know when you introduce yourself you lose sense of you know who you are as a person you just give you, you go around banding your title um but when i had that title it meant i was doing everything under the sun <clears throat> as you do so you know I was responsible for you know employee relations I was responsible for policies and processes I was, I was responsible for recruitment and and like any job there's those elements that you enjoy 
and elements that you don't enjoy, elements that you you know, preferred, you, you could do every single day and elements that you, you didn't have to do again, you would never want to do again. Um, and that probably for me was, you know, the downside of being, you know, a full-time employee in a very specific role. As a freelancer, in my first year, <laughs> I was taken on whatever came my way because, you know, a client would say, can you do policies? I'm like, okay. And again, not to knock anyone who loves doing policies, but that's that doesn't really excite me. Um, writing them, reviewing them, editing them, you know, especially when they're lengthy <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're multiple policies. It's not something that I, I enjoy doing, but I did in my first year. I was asked to um, help another business with their accreditation process for uh, ILM, leadership training. Again, very, very monotonous, very you know, rigorous, very robust process. Did it, didn't enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. Now I, I tend to do work that I, that I think is going to excite me, um, not just pay the bills, because for me, it's not about paying the bills. Um, I'm in a position now, I mean, I'm 52 and a bit. Um, I don't have any financial burdens. I don't have any debts. Um, I want to get my kids through university and I'm paying their fees, um, help them in their marriages when that time comes. But other than that, um, I'm in quite a privileged position after you know working for about 30 odd years. So I think if you're at that stage in your career, then you really should be doing the work that you that makes you come alive, that you enjoy yeah. doing. And it's so easy just to fall into that, you know, into that situation where you just work, 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 um, trying to earn more and more and more. And that's not that's not living, really. Yeah, no, I think you're talking about purpose-driven uh, work there, aren't you, Shaquille? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when I, when I set up the brand, it was, it was very deliberate um, because it was about trying to do the right thing. Um, I've seen HR practitioners who are very, you know, uh, forward thinking, very um, open to new ways of thinking and working, breaking away from the old command and control structures um, and, you know, being process driven and policy driven. But at the same token, I've seen those HR practitioners who are very much you know, an extension of, you know, what the management wants and, and what the management wants isn't always the right thing. And it's not always ethical, ethically correct. It's not always right for the business. Often it's a very short-term kind of approach to you know a, a, a short-term problem. So if we take the pandemic as an example, last you know in 2020 we saw you know a whole slew of businesses offloading their staff, and you know it would have been HR practitioners doing that um, at the you know wearing my other hat at the. At the from the conclusions drawn by the finance officers and directors in the in the business that you know we need to make cost savings mm. that wasn't necessarily the right thing to do and and those businesses that acted and and you know thought about their staff thought about how they could safeguard their employees and, and value them and, and really give them some payback effectively especially the big brands um the big corporations out there um they are now reaping the rewards because you know they've got through the end you know this you know it's not over the pandemic but we're in certainly a different place and those businesses are in a better position than some of the others who have now forever been tarnished and damaged. I would not want to work for a business that will offload me at this first hint of, you know, of, of, of a problem on the horizon. There's always going to be problems on the horizon. As a, as, a, um, as a HR practitioner, it is about trying to balance what the business needs, but also safeguarding and protecting the business from itself when you need to. And being able to say and, and speak up and be a voice an advocate for doing the right thing yeah yeah absolutely the right thing to do i think perhaps is what's um been driving what's been called that great resignation as well maybe yeah, yeah. 
I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I do think we, you know, when I first came to this space, and I haven't been in this space that long, uh, I only came to the HR space in 2009. And my incumbent head of HR, actually, I remember saying to me, this is the hardest job in the world, because we're always going to be wrong, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that we are wrong, because it's yeah. just that, you know, we haven't, and I recognise and realise that actually it's because we haven't always had a voice or, or been the voice uh, to counter what's being said in the boardrooms or or in those decisions that are taken in the business. Yeah. Can I ask you a question then, Shaquille? Yeah, go ahead. So for HR professionals, people working in people space, who might be listening to that and thinking that, you know, absolutely, I really, you know, that's why I got into the people profession because mm. I, I care about people. I want to do the right thing. But they might be sat there thinking, but that's not, that doesn't really kind of fly in terms of my organisation, in terms of being able to be a people professional but do the right thing. What what would you say to those people? Well, I say in every organisation, being in this HR space is difficult because um, we're coming from, you know, we're on the back foot or, you know, we're not like, you know, as, as again, I have not mentioned, but I hold two professional qualifications. I spent 20 years in finance. When I was in the finance role, I mean, you know, whatever I contributed in terms of to the decision making process was actually valued. We're not in that we don't have that, you know, that same platform and an opportunity necessarily in many organisations. But that doesn't mean um, we shouldn't try. Um, and it might be, you know, I used to always say I had two strategies. I had the HR official strategy that I would, you know, you know, share and proclaim from the rooftops. Then I'd have my stealth strategy. The strategy that I was actually trying to, you know, shape and influence um, decision makers, and you shape and influence decision makers by, you know, by fixing the, you know, the transactional issues. You know, if there's things going wrong with payroll, there's things going wrong with, you know, um, you know your systems. It's gonna, it's gonna present you as as being a weaker function. So you need mm. do need to get the basics right. Mm. And you know, I'm not an advocate for lots of policies, but you do need to have certain policies in place. So there's, so there's, there's a reference point that the business has got to go to but I always think because you are the the only part of the business that will that has a mandate to look at the values nobody else has that mandate it's not finance it's not procurement it's not internal audit it is the HR space you have a mandate to actually one articulate the values shape the values translate how those values exist in your particular business and then be the advocate and champion of those values and that allows you to have a, a platform which if, you, if, you're, if your senior leadership team have signed off on the values, to always bring it back down to the values. What are we here to do? Is it just about money? Is it just about growth? Is it just about revenue? What do we, you know? And that is a reference point that no other professional function in the business would have. And I think that's that's something which we, we tend to forget sometimes. But that should be, you know, that is your that is your you know your your shield and your armor and your sword to go out there and fight the difficult battles. Now. If you are in a situation where you've you've tried to be the voice of reason, you've tried to be the advocate for doing the right thing, and you're not being heard at all, and you've tried different, you know, you've tried this open strategy and the stealth strategy, then perhaps it's the wrong organisation. You know, you're the right. You what you're saying isn't wrong. It's just not. You know, it comes down to the appetite of the business. So perhaps it's time for you to think about where you can thrive and not not survive but thrive, and grow and be valued. Because everyone has value, and if you're not being valued, we, you know, as HR practitioners, we always talk about valuing people, but we sometimes forget we also need to be valued. So if you're not being valued by your business, then maybe it's time to think about, especially during this great resignation, 
um, if that's what's driving it, then get into an organization where you are valued and you are heard and you are able to shape and change the fabric and the, the, of the culture of the organization. Um, don't be a passenger in your own life. You know, get into the driving seat and, and decide where you want to be. Because I've been there. I've been in that role where I've, I've coasted. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I got to a place where, I mean, when I was in finance, I was coasting for many years, if I'm being honest. I got to, uh, I was in the role for 20 odd years. I was the uh, head of um, accounts. And every year was just another year. It was, I'm doing the, we're doing the accounts again, the statutory accounts. We're going to have the external auditors coming in. We'll have the internal audit. We'll have, you know, new, we'll have a re, you know, review of the policies, a new you know, finance system. I didn't, I'd introduced two finance software, you know, um, rollouts, um, you know, grew, grew the team, changed the team. But I was repeating what I'd already done. And once you start repeating your greatest hits, something something needs to change. And I was, I was you know, uh, quite comfortable. There was no pressure on me to, you know, do anything radically different. Um, so when I moved into the HR space, it was a, a, a bit of a rude awakening to realize how much I didn't know um, mm. about HR and what I thought I knew. And also a great opportunity for me to grow as a person and actually carry on learning. Um, so if you're in that place where you've stagnated, um, where you're not growing, you're not being challenged, you're not being valued, then you owe it to yourself to get out. You have to, because nobody else mm. will do it for you. You know, um, we always think the business will look after us. Uh, us. No, they won't. It's not that the only person responsible for your development is, is actually you. And you do need yeah. to take ownership of it. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing those reflections. Um, and I know certainly from a, a coaching perspective, when I'm working with clients, we tend to explore what your core values and your purpose mm. is. Um, and I think what you're saying there is that's that's a really important perspective to have as a as a as a people professional as well, is to understand what your your values, your ethics, your purpose are. Uh, particularly they're probably no more than ever um, and where those things aren't aligned you are going to get that dissonance aren't you because that, that's going to create friction for you um, so firstly it's really important to understand I guess what your, your core values your purpose your ethics what drives you what motivates you all those things why they why, why they matter to you and then you know sense check that against the organization that you're working for are those things aligned? Are those planets aligned? And if they're not, then ultimately, yeah, you're right. You have to look at yourself and decide whether this, whether you want to stay living in Groundhog Day, which is which is, is an option. You know, you can yeah, do that. You can, you can stay. You can it's repeat a safe the same option. day. It is a safe over, option. Over and over. Really happy. Or you can you can take the the lesser trodden path, the unsafer path and really hold that mirror up to yourself and reflect on yourself and ask yourself those tough questions of actually am I really kind of aligned to what my own mission purpose is in life as well and and yeah that's that's a big big challenge isn't it it's a big thing to it's a big mirror to look up and to do that kind of self-reflection um, but I don't know what your thoughts are but for me it kind of feels like that's where you kind of then start going into that real kind of sense of purpose-driven, aligned work where you actually feel value in terms of what you're doing, what you're contributing and how that's contributing to the, the wider space in, in, in what you're working. What are your thoughts on, on that? Well, it's interesting because you know, I mentioned at the beginning um, when before we started that I procrastinated for a while 
And part of that procrastination was actually exactly that, trying to understand what, 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 what is my USP? What do I want to be doing? What's my, what's my um, mission statement? And I came up with my A, B, C, which relates to value. So A is to add value. So if I want, if I want to work with you, I need to, I need to add value. I don't want to just be doing a piece of work and that is just shelved or you know not used or just there's a tick box exercise. It has to actually add value to you as a, as an organisation. B, I want to be valued. Now, be being valued isn't necessarily about money. Um, one of my challenges I have got, Mike, because I do a lot of pro bono work, but it's just about being appreciated. So in some cases, it is you know monetary. It is about you know uh, a client paying me what I think is a reasonable rate, but it's also about being valued and and recognised and appreciated. But finally, C is about seeing values. I don't want to work in an organisation that isn't values led or values um, inspired or has values at its core. If I see a business that is unethical, you know, um, with bad management practices and wants me to come in and just offload a whole load of employees, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Mm. So, you know, it, it's not, I'm not um, the executioner and mm. HR executioners or the, you know, people, you know, I remember when, when I first had a HRD role and I had, I had, a, I had a glass office, you know, it's a very nice office, air conditioning, all the rest of it. Some of the things I do miss, <laughs> um, but people would be seen in my office and there'd be an automatic assumption that that person must be in trouble. So I started routinely calling people into my office just to have a chat, conversation, a human conversation. And I'd make sure you know there'd be people would see us laughing and having a joke and a bit of a banter. And, you know, the person would leave, you know, not looking miserable or looking upset because I wanted to dispel this illusion that we are the people that if you're dealing with HR, there must be a problem. We're not. We are problem solvers, but we are not, you know, uh, there to deal with just the problems of the organisation. Mm. We are important, you know, beyond operational, beyond strategic um, part of the organisation. If done properly, this is what, you know, this, we are game changers for organisations and we should own that and be proud of that. Um, we often talk about, you know, HR, you know, you know, when we talk about what HR does and we do so much you know, from, you know, from across the breadth of what is typical, you know, typically handed to HR. But on top of that, I've spoken to HR directors who end up with, you know, IT, logistics, warehousing, administration, anything and everything uh, as part of their mandate. So, you know, we, I, you know, in real terms, potentially are punching way beyond, you know, the work that we normally are expected to deliver on. But we still forget that what we should be doing is about enabling the organization to its people to be the best versions of themselves because when they are the yeah. best versions of themselves that's when the organization to use your uh, terminology become brilliant and but that's also uh, applies to ourselves we should also be brilliant we should you know you know there's a great book by Karen Beaven where she talks about the role of the HR practitioner and she talks about knowing your profession not understanding what your what your professional uh, uh, position is on you know learning and you know in, in recruitment etc cetera, etc cetera. so understand your discipline understand it well understand your business what it's doing what is it what are its pain points what's what are the opportunities what are the threats understand the strategy of the business its vision what, what where, where are they going understand your industry what's going on in that wider industry beyond your business understand what's happening in the marketplace and the economy now you're in a position to actually really bring value to the business and think about what you're doing in that bigger context 
it's that big picture thinking that actually is, is where HR becomes, you know, game changers if done properly. We are levers without a doubt. Finance is a lever, but so is, you know, is the people lever is equally important. And, and often the focus is on finance, on the numbers, and that's always short term. Because, you know, as we know, CEOs come in, we've all seen it, CEOs come in with a three to five year mandate. First year, they want to bring about change. First thing they do is <laughs> restructure, um, revamp, uh, revise the strategy. Last year of their, of their three to five year term, they're looking at their exit plan, where their next opportunity is. And mm. it's all about generating a three to four year return that demonstrates their added value to the business. It's not long term. That's not strategic. That's very short term. It's a blink of you know, it's a blink of the eye, three to four years. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas we should be looking at the longer term picture. If, we, if we're serious about our organisations, and, and but also as I was saying, if the organisations are serious about you, and if they're not, then get out where you can actually make a difference. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's just really, really good reflections there, um, Shaquille. And I just want to just go back to that um, image that you shared of yourself sat in an open glass office behind a, a desk can you just imagine it now in my head it's kind of like sealed uh, glass windows you in the middle big table big leather chair people kind of like fearful of going in there but actually knowing you as i do and i never knew that shaquille i know mm. the shaquille that's gonna i'm looking to and talking to right now and i just cannot imagine you being in that position from knowing you now and knowing you as i've known you over the last few years and knowing our kind of similar shared values and ethics and purpose, I just cannot imagine you being in that position right now. So that's that's quite a conundrum in itself, isn't it? So that was the perception that people had when I came into the role, that this is because this is how HR was always imagined in the organisation. So yeah. from day one, I tried to break that uh, perception and challenge it. Um, and one thing I would typically do is actually not sit in that office, actually go and sit amongst the team. So sit amongst different parts of the business and actually do my work in different parts of the business because and again i'd come from that finance world where to understand the business you actually had you had to be connected and one of, my, one of the things i found my business partners doing was you know they were business they were, you know we changed their titles from hr advisors to business partners and for them it was a very much a, a change in terminology and i was like no it's a change of mindset mm. you're partnering with the part of the business then actually that's where you need to be not not sat on this floor with each other mm. as the HR mm. team, but actually spend some of your time, not every day, but some of your time sat with your with your people of the part of the business that you're meant to be partnering with. Understand what's going on in that business. Understand their, understand the language they're using, the acronyms they're using. Mm. See the tension points before they explode. Understand where they're, you know, where they're facing challenges in the business. Um, advise the managers long before, you know, they make, you know, decisions which aren't which are short term uh, and, and they're not seeing uh, a different perspective, the perspective of their teams. Um, and my measure of success for the business partners was, was once those, you know, whether it's finance or IT or, you know, marketing, which, whatever, whichever part of the business, once they start inviting you to their away days, to their team meetings, that's when you know you've arrived. That's mm. when you know they see you as an extension of what they're there to do. Mm. And that's when you really understand and, and you can partner with them. That's what business partnering looks like to me. Um, so that was one of my measures I used to actually help reconnect because HR was very, you know, very much isolated. It was very transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, it was, it was regarded as one of the lowest viewed functions in the, in the whole of the organization. And for me, that was, 
you know, I, I'd picked up, you know, what was seen as a poison chalice. Um, mm. I was determined, um, you know, I was only meant to be short term, but I was determined to try and do something with that chalice and change and turn it around. Um, so a great challenge and great opportunity. But again, I'm sure I'm not alone in that, you know, in that situation. Many organizations, HR is not seen as the as a, as a pivotal part of the organization. It should be. It has mm. to be. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like a marketing branding disaster, isn't it? That, in terms of how HR is seen and perceived. If that was a marketing exercise, that would be an absolute disaster, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think we're either seen as an extension of management, or we're seen as the you know, the go-to people to have a, you know tea and comfort with. But actually, we are that and much more. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's a, I think you're right in terms of real kind of and we talk about all the time in in, in lnd specifically around that kind of what's the value add what's the roi of you know, and yeah. it's kind of being able to do that and combine it isn't it with the kind of the business metrics but also with the people metrics as well because without the people metrics the business doesn't succeed anyway does it i mean that's right. simple simple business isn't it um i wonder if we could um as we talked didn't we in our conversation before we came on we talked um, a little bit about kind of uh some of the uh the glass ceilings that might exist um, within organisations. I wonder if you might share some, perhaps if, if you're comfortable, share yeah, some sure. of your experiences around that. So I know you're quite involved in the DNI space, particularly. Um, and, and as someone who's in the neurodivergent space myself, you know, I've experienced and I've experienced from others, from working in the people space, some of the, the, the barriers and some of those glass ceilings um, that, that come into play. But I wonder if you might mind talking about some of that and from your own perspective and experience as well. Yeah, happy to. So if you think, if you take, I'm going to take the question back to, from a different angle, Mike, if I may. If you think about how work was, work was created in the first place, you know, in the modern day and age, it was created, you know, by, you know, the founders and the fathers of, of you know, of the industrial age, you know, um, with um, Taylor, Ford, you know, uh, Deming, um, you know, the McDonald brothers, it was all created by white, able-bodied, straight men for other white able-bodied straight men it wasn't created for people who are different it wasn't that's just a fact and it wasn't until you know you know the only time you know even if you think think about the biggest um diverse group of people being you know the gender difference men and women equally 50 50 it wasn't until you know the first world war and the second world war that Men went off to, you know, fight the battles, and women came into the, you know, into the farms and the factories to into the workplace. When the wars came to an end, the women returned back to the homes. And it wasn't until 1947 that the NHS was created, and it was the first large, largest, you know, largest initiative where women entered the workforce en masse. So there's a lot of catch-up to do from the time when, you know, the 1900s, early 1900s, when work started. To women coming into the workforce in nineteen um, in 1947, in, it wasn't until 1970 that you started having some you know um, regulations and acts acts to increase diversity um, with the uh, um, Equal Pay Act in 1970, uh, the Race Relations Act in 1975. The uh, it took another 20 years from 1975 to 1995 for the disability. Uh, act mm. to come to effect and that was mm. after many protests mm. and a real pushback from government because it, it took a lot mm. of you know um protest demonstrations for that act even to be 
accepted, which is crazy when you think about mm-hmm. the fact that actually, 20, you know, there's about 20% of the population which will have a, uh, a visible or, or invisible disability being excluded from the workplace. And then again, in 2010, when the Equality Act came in and brought all these different acts in together, it wasn't a game changer. It didn't rectify or remedy all the inequality in the workplace. All it did was actually, you know, give a, a means and a tool for those who are facing discrimination to, you know, to make a claim. But it didn't change behaviours, it didn't change cultures, it didn't change workplace practices. Um, the real shift probably has come in the last few years, though, I'd say, with the Me Too movement, um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, bring a greater focus on sexual harassment. Uh, and again, obviously, we've got the, the current settlement case with uh, Prince Andrew in the, in the media today, you know, and currently this week. Um, and the Black Lives Matter movement bring race uh, higher up on the agenda. But that's still, we have still got a long, long way to go. So those ceilings are real. They, were, they weren't, they didn't just happen. They were created from the word mm-hmm. go. Um, so there's a there's an imbalance that's been around for a very long time. Um, there's been a real pushback, and it's understandable. If you're in power, you don't want to give up power. Mm-hmm. And I always, and I always push. I always have my own, you know, response to that. It's not about giving up power. It's about sharing power. Mm-hmm. Those glass ceilings are very, you know, much in, intact. There's still a lot to be done. I didn't set off to be the you know, an advocate for diversity and inclusion. It's, it's, it's horrible being the brown person in the room trying to advocate for other brown people. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to be known as that. I want to be known as a, as, a, as a recognized, accomplished, credible HR practitioner. Mm-hmm. But when I looked around in this space, and especially once I got onto the CIPD board um, and recognized actually my own professional body is lagging behind. Mm-hmm. We were a professional body, mostly you know, with women um, in HR uh, roles but then occupied by men in the senior roles, which again, made no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would talk about two specific strands of diversity at that time when I joined, and that was um, gender and LGBT. And that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, and, it, and I got pushed back as one well, again, without, you know, going into the details, but I pushed mm-hmm. back harder because, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I didn't finally get to, um, create a position on the board for being a race champion because again especially um, and it was this is pre the George Floyd murder um, because I could see that we weren't talking about race I'm now trying to push another on other fronts as well and it was the I think it was a 2019 CIP conference for the first time we had a panel where it took about two years of me pushing but we actually had a panel talking about neurodiversity age, disability, gender, race and religion. And I've not been to a conference where that had happened prior to that point. Uh, not a CIP conference or any other HR conference. Um, one of the comments I got from one of the conference organisers, and again, I won't say which conference it was, was that actually, uh, Shaquille, um, this conference is not a diversity and inclusion conference. Um, you know, so we don't need to be talking about this at a mainstream conference. I said, well, then you're missing the point. Unless it's mainstream, it's never going to change. If it's only people like who are like-minded talking to other people who are like-minded at diversity, diversity and inclusion conference, the fact they're attending a diversity and inclusion conference means they're, they're already on board. They're not yeah, going to hear anything yeah. they disagree with particularly. 
they might hear new ideas of ways of doing things and, and you know, new ways to approach issues, but they're, they're already on board. We need to get to the mainstream and, and, this, and the message needs to be said much more broadly and wider. You know, then there's nine protected characteristics. I'm so happy to see that there's a, uh, an increased conversation on menopause now, which is fantastic because that was very much a muted conversation. It impacts so many people, men and women uh, in the workplace. Uh, and in their daily lives, and it, and it was never, wasn't really talked about. Um, and we're seeing a lot more, you know, conversations around that. But there's a hell of a long way to go. So we're nowhere near where we need to be, and there's so much more to be done. Uh, but again, coming back to what I was saying about the HR practitioners earlier, just like the values piece, we're, we're ideally placed because, again, that's part of our mandate. And you know, diversity and inclusion is creeping up the agenda. And I always say to, you know, when I meet HR practitioners, don't do what's easy. Take, go mm. down the difficult path. Just don't, don't do, just do gender. It's easier to do. Don't just do, you know, race because it's easy to do right now. Don't just do LGBT because it's easier to do right now. Think about it broadly. Mm. Think about how, you know, your organization, you know, look around the boardroom, what do you see? If you don't see diversity, look around your, you know, look around your customer base. What do you see? Businesses are increasingly working in a diverse, complex, inter, you know, interrelated environment. So your customers are all, you know, if your customers are all around the world, but you, if you look around your organization, you don't see that reflected, then there's clearly a problem. You know, how can you service customers and, and be understanding of their needs if you don't actually have any, any of those mindsets within the organization? You're setting yourself to fail. You are, as an organization, not going to compete. You'll, you'll become a dinosaur. It's just a question of time. And those organizations, you know, and again, the research is out there. There's no, you know, there's no point banging that particular drum because there's so much research out there. We know mm. organizations that are diverse are more likely to succeed in the long term. Mm. And it's that simple. You've got your business case. Just get on with the job now. You know, mm. you, need to get, you, know, you need to get people who are on board in, in senior management you know, in, in, amongst me in senior management, you do need those who are allies. But, you know, whether by having an open strategy or, or that um, stealth strategy I spoke about earlier, it's your mandate. Own mm -hmm. it, in, you know, and, and run with it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing those reflections, Shaquille. What would you say, playing devil's advocate here, to the um, HR professional that sat there listening to all that, thinking, yeah, absolutely, that sounds absolutely fantastic, but what can I do about that? Start somewhere. And it's about creating ripples. And, you know, uh, I'm part of the Ripple Movement, which is um, a fantastic organisation talking about kindness. And it's not, you know, it's not about being able to change everyone, because we can't. But start with someone. Start with, you know, even if it starts small, start, start with doing something. And you'll find it will, it will have a ripple effect. Um, we were talking earlier about your, your, your vibe attracting your tribe. You'll find others will be attracted to what you're saying. If you start speaking up and trying to do the right thing and start and standing up for others, you'll find others will stand up with you. When I talk about allyship, I always share this, you know, um, I always ask people to, you know, put themselves in a situation where they can remember what it's like to have been a witness to, you know, somebody acting in an unkind way, bullying, harassing, you know, discriminating, whatever it is, and being in a position to have done something and not have done it, you do feel guilt. Because you, if you've witnessed someone behaving in a way that's unnecessary, unnecessarily cruel, you mm. will feel guilt. You'll feel guilt for the rest of the day. You'll, you'll go home, you'll think about it, it'll be on your mind. Mm. 
But conversely, in that same situation where you've spoken up, you feel good. Mm. You feel good and you actually, you know, you'll go home and tell your spouse, your partner, your family members, I did this today because it's something to be proud of. Mm. I did the right thing. So we know what it feels like to do the right thing. We know how crap it feels to do the wrong thing and stay silent. Mm. So it begs the question, why not speak up more? Why stay silent? Because mm. silence is complicity. You know, mm. you know, sadly, coming back to the, the, the headlines to, you know, this week with the gagging orders, silence allows it to continue. And that's all it mm. does. Silencing you know, the, the abused allows the abuser to carry on. And that's never a good thing for anyone. Yeah, no, that's some good, um, some good reflections. <clears throat> I think that's some some good uh, reflections for people out there listening to that who are thinking, you know, I'm just little old me. What can I do about that? I think actually, everyone can do something. Yeah. Right? You know, don't be complicit. Um, stand up for what's right. Um, and, and challenge, and that doesn't apply just to HR professionals either, does it? it applies to it's us the all. Yeah. As, as, as human beings, you know, let's let's just remember what we are. We're all human beings, and let's do the right thing wherever wherever we are. Um, and just going back to your point, I think where you were talking, I think you mentioned earlier about um, HR executioner. Um, I just kind of in my head uh, was kind of and comparing HR hero versus HR executioner and yeah I think HR hero is is, is 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 much better than HR executioner for sure but as we kind of move in I guess towards the end of the podcast I mean we could go on forever with the podcast today there's so much to talk about I might have to bring you back on for a second appearance Shaquille because you said you said earlier you shared with me didn't you that you know you love to talk and I said oh well I do too so uh, yeah, this this could really kind of uh, be a two three part. I think this podcast. But, but <laughs> tell, tell us about HR hero then, and tell us about what what I mean. What, where does HR? We talk about authenticity. I can see things the listeners can't see. I can see your background, and I can see a little bit about the real Shaquille just by the the screen and seeing kind of your background. Tell us a little bit about, about HR hero. Tell us a little bit about your authentic self and how that all came to sort of be. So HR Hero came out of, you know, this struggle of trying to identify what should I call my particular organization. And I got advice from a number of, you know, friends, and, you know, other HR practitioners who told me, Shaquille, you need to have something that says international, you need to have say something, have say, say something that says global or, you know, worldwide. And I said, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, I might, I do have clients who have, you know, since worked with globally and I have, you know, worked, you know, uh, overseas extensively, but that's not who I am. You need to have a London skyline in your in your in your branding. I said, why? I'm not in. I'm not based in London. Uh, you need to talk about you know your organisations as if there's many of you. I said, but there's not. It's just me. It is me, myself, and I. So I I was from I was very clear from the very beginning that I wanted it to be a reflection of who I am as an individual. And um, doing the right thing for me, unfortunately, I'm very hard grain. Growing up in the <laughs> 70s and 80s, um, I was I, I went to a special needs school. And I went to a special needs school because I was asthmatic as a child, and um, as a, as a asthmatic child, I couldn't play and run around like the other kids. So my my family would get me to read, and I read extensively. And the thing that I read mostly was comics. Now I started off like most kids of that age with Beano's and, and the Beano and the Dandy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I went on very quickly to the American comics, and particularly uh, superhero comics. 
so for me, uh, I, I, I formed a love, um, uh, an affinity and a love for Marvel comics, particularly um, in the 1970s, watching, you know, the old Spider-Man 1960s cartoons. Um, Star Wars also came out in 1977. Uh, and it pretty much hardwired my thinking about doing the right thing. Um, I started drawing comics. I started, you know, uh, drawing uh, the characters from the comics. Um, and it did shape my thinking once I moved into the world of work about trying to do the right thing, whether that was, whether that was in the finance role that I occupied for 20 years or then subsequently in the HR role. Um, so when I when for me, it was a no brainer when I thought about my brand. It was about HR being more than just being operational, more than strategic, but actually, you know, embracing the values and the ethics um, that we are meant to be, you know, championing within organizations. And when I did my dissertation for my master's, it was on the values. Uh, is on values, the role that values plays in faith organizations. So for me, it was it was very much part and parcel of who I am as an individual. And I thought, why shy away from that? Mm. So, um, you know, I had, I had friends telling me, you're not, this is not going to fly. You look, you look, you know, it doesn't look genuine. It looks almost, you know, it doesn't look corporate enough. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Uh, it's people won't take you seriously. I thought, well, let me, let me try. Um, you know, and I can always, you know, shy away from, if I have to at a later stage and, and rebrand and, and revamp and relaunch but I want to try and um, I had every naysayer telling me this wasn't going to work including family members mm. uh, but I think it's it's like with anything you have to believe firstly in yourself mm. and you have to you know take a number of knocks because again the first year there was hardly any revenue it wasn't it wasn't it did seem like they were right um, but I gave myself three to five years um, and I'm very happy to say, you know, by year three, it seemed to be flying. Year four, the pandemic came along and I was like, OK, I'm back to square one. Um, but that's I realize it's part and parcel of, of, of being in this space. If you want to um, be true to who you are as an individual, you have to pursue what you believe in. Um, and that includes, you know, doing what you think is going to make the make a difference in the world. And it is about making a difference in the world because all of us, you know, we ha we're on this planet for a limited time and we can choose to be, you know, uh, as I've said to people, and I, I do talks on, on, the, on the subject of purpose. You can be a passenger in your own life or you can be in the driving seat. It's up to you. Mm. But then be very clear about where you're going. Be in the driving seat and actually, you know, have a direction in mind. And it's not, and, you know, I used to do Kung Fu um, and my, 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 um, teacher would teach us that it's not about the black belt at the end it's the it's the journey mm. to get to the black belt the black belt actually doesn't matter mm. uh, i did get the black belt eventually but he but at the time i was and i was very in the early years it was very much like you know thinking back to being a paduan in you know i'm ready mm. now master no you're not and i wanted mm. to get that belt and i was counting the you know the belts down but as i got close to the black belt i stopped caring because i realized mm. he was right it's not about the it's about the journey mm. and all of us um, in this world have a very finite amount of time. So it's about the people, you know, when I lost my, and again, I'm digress slightly, when I lost my father, um, my sister said something very profound to me and it really stuck with me. And I realized it's not about the number of breaths you take, it's about the number of breaths you take away. Mm. So it's not about how much, you know, um, how long you live or what, you know, it's about what you do with why you're alive why you have an opportunity. And I've been very fortunate that I've been given a platform, Mike, um, being on the CIPD board, being able to speak at conferences, 
being able to, you know, being able to write and, and you know, all those comics paid off because I, I, I write, you know, quite a few articles every 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 so often and get, they get published. It's given me a platform to go out and try to hopefully shape and influence our profession. We've got a long way to go, but we're, we're a brilliant profession and mm. we've so much more that we could be doing. Um, and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that we are, we are evolving and we are changing. There's practitioners out there who I very much respect and, and we're breaking away from some of the, the perceptions of what HR is there to do uh, mm. and the broken working practice of the, old, of the days of the past. And it's a brave new world. It really is. You know, it's, it's a scary world. Everything is, is up in arms. And anyone who tells you, you know, they're an expert, they're lying. Nobody knows what to do in this current environment. But, but you know, uh, taking a learning mentality and a growth mentality, this is the best place to be if you're a HR practitioner right now. That's really fantastic reflections. And we shared, didn't we, um, earlier, and we're coming, we're coming to the end, I think, of, uh, of our time today, uh, which I'm really sorry about, because I think we can go on forever. But as, as a kind of fellow nerd, and after the podcast, we're going to kind of get nerdy and we're going to kind of share some of our memorabilia with each other for, for, for listeners who won't be able to take part in that conversation, sadly. But uh, just just kind of thank you for sharing about your, your, your father and everything there, um, Shaquille. That's uh, really deep and personal. So thanks for sharing that with us. Um, as, a, as a kind of fellow nerd and just to kind of kind of capture, encapsulate a hope of everything that we've talked about um, today. Um, I, I'm really into kind of pretty much a lot of what you're into too. Um, and one of my favourite quotes from the film Gladiator is is what we do in life echoes in eternity. Yeah, absolutely. I think, absolutely. Yeah, just kind of leave that kind of hanging there to kind of encapsulate what we've talked about in this podcast today. Um, any final thoughts from you, Shaquille? What, what, what's been the, uh, the most useful thing that you've gone out of this conversation today? I suppose it's just it's always good to speak and it's always and you know one thing I, I realized um, when I moved into this HR space originally was actually the sooner I mean the first thing I did was I reached out to other HR directors when I became a HR director and I was just very honest I don't know what I'm doing I haven't got a clue I've been I've been tasked with developing the strategy for the organization no idea what I'm doing I've been tasked with developing the values for the organization no idea what I'm doing and it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to ask for help because we we're in a wonderful community where um, we are we're not competitive. I've seen other you know, professional bodies, you know, professional organizations and members, very competitive, very secretive about you know their their journeys and, and what's helped them. But I think we're in a very privileged place in our in our particular community because we care about people and we care about each other. So if you're a HR practitioner, my final thoughts are to you are get out your own way, reach out connect with other HR practitioners because that's how you learn. I learned so much from speaking to others and, and just being honest, I don't know. <laughs> so tell me, tell me what I don't know because I don't know. Um, and I've grown and I've grown and I've grown. And, and you know, people ask me how, you know, how did I get to where I got to? It wasn't by doing it alone. So reach out, connect with others and you're fine. You know, I mean, I'm sure um, the podcast you've had with other guests are going to be mm. you know, so valuable to your listeners. So if this is the only one you've listened to so far, you know, listen to the others, reach out to them, connect with them, see what they're mm. doing, follow them um, and just keep keep up to date. Don't let yourself get, you know, don't ever get to a place where you think this is it. I've understood everything. You haven't because our, 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 our playing field keeps changing. So we need to keep learning and growing and evolving, too. 
sage advice, sage advice, and thank you for sharing that. And as a final uh, uh, piece, Shaquille, how can people connect with you? LinkedIn, Twitter, um, email me. Uh, when I can, I always connect with people whenever I can. Um, but please don't try and sell me stuff. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking to buy. <laughs> Unless maybe it's some sci-fi memorabilia, in which case yeah, it might be open to a conversation. But that's <laughs> a completely different conversation that we're going to have right after this podcast. But um, yeah, I'll just kind of end there and just say thank you so much for, for coming on the, uh, the Be Brilliant People podcast today, Shaquille. It's been a fantastic conversation, which I'm sure will enrich um, our listeners um, wherever it is that they're listening to this conversation. And yeah, it really, really sincere. Thank you uh, and respect from me. Thank you very much, Mike. Hello, and thanks for listening to the Be Brilliant People podcast, sponsored by Be Brilliant People Development Limited. We're about bringing the buzz back to the coaching, training, and people development industry. We offer coaching, training, and people development solutions with a difference. If you're interested and would like to find out more, reach out to us or visit our website on www.bebrilliantpeople.com. Thank you for listening.